Hi, WorkWell listeners. I'm really excited to share that my book, Work Better Together, is officially out. Conversations with WorkWell guests and feedback from listeners like you inspired this book. It's all about how to create a more human-centered workplace. And as we return to the office for many of us, this book can help you move forward into post-pandemic life with strategies and tools to strengthen your relationships and focus on your well-being. It's available now from your favorite book retailer. We all want to be happy. Happiness is important because it helps us live fulfilling lives and show up as our best selves for those that we care about. But it's difficult to be happy when life is full of so many hardships. So how do we solve for happiness? Believe it or not, the answer may lie in a simple equation. This is the WorkWell podcast series live from the World Happiness Summit in Miami, Florida. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I'm here with Mo Gadot. Mo is the former Chief Business Officer of Google X. He's also the host of Slow Mo, a podcast with Mo Gadot and best-selling author of the books Solve for Happy and Scary Smart. As the founder of One Billion Happy, Mo is on an ambitious mission to help one billion people become happier in their lives. Mo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here live from the World Happiness Summit. Yes, so, life, no, life is so much better. This feels much more human. I yeah, think. being yeah. in person. Yeah. yeah. So, so tell me about you and tell me your journey and how you became passionate about happiness and solving for happiness. Easy question. Just the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I had, uh, I had. Um, I think I lived two full lives uh, hmm. in a very uh, fortunate way. I lived the life of a business executive, a um, you know, a successful entrepreneur. I went through the whole cycle of just living what we're told to live. Mm. And I did well. I mean, I, I ended up being chief business officer of Google X, which I think is the second best job on the planet. And uh, and you know, had a lot of been blessed with a lot of success on that front. Um, not unlike most of us who have gone through that journey, I was miserable mm. through it all. I had everything that you can think of. And, uh, and um, you know, the more I had, honestly, the more, um, the more disappointed I was with life. Mm. It's, it was really weird when you think about it. It's somehow, when you're driven by targets and, you know, as a business executive, constantly uh, increasing those targets, you, you know, that sort of sips through in your life a little bit. And so... The more you, the more life blesses you. The more you go, like, what's wrong? You know, I can move that target forward and have a, a better life. But you never really get there. And so, uh, I had my middle age crisis, if you want, when I was twenty nine. Uh, I, I define middle age crisis as the point at which you sort of achieve what you set out to achieve, and then realize that it wasn't worth achieving. Mm. Okay. Uh, it's like, you know, is this it? So I had that when I was 29. I had everything that you can think of, all the money, all the, you know, success. I had a wonderful wife that gave me two wonderful kids, uh, the big, you know, villa with the swimming pool and the fancy cars and everything. And I was miserable. And so uh, that was probably the trigger of my second life, which was a search for that happiness, uh, which evaded me for a long time because my brain 
did not speak the language of happiness experts. I, mm. I didn't appreciate the mysticism of the language. You know, I, being an engineer, refused to do things until you explained to me how they work. And so I went through it with an engineer's mind, if you want, doing literally scientific experiments and data collection and weird stuff. And I had my wonderful son who was innately, in, you know, instinctively happy, if you want. So I would do my research for a few months, a few years at a time, and go to him and say, you know, I discovered this. It's amazing <laughs> when you think about it. And he, even as a young child, seven, eight years old, would sit there like a, a sage and smile at me and go like, that's really interesting, tell me more, <laughs> okay? And, and, and I'm, I'm like thinking I'm teaching my child, but he was literally entertaining me when you think about it. And then he would eventually say, wow, Papa, I'm so proud of you. This is an amazing discovery. You could have just asked me. And, and, I, would, <laughs> and I would literally say, so what, you know, what, what do you know about this? And he would say four to eight words from the heart that would completely show me the world from a, a, an emotional, a, a, a heart-centered place. And together we started to get to a point where I had that model, very highly engineered, uh, that worked. Uh, you know that could turn you back to happiness very quickly when you are when you're feeling unhappy, and then uh, that model basically was needed because Ali, my wonderful son, left our world um, due to a simple medical error, really, mm. um, you know, preventable in every possible way, fixable in every possible way, but uh, but just you know, uh, he just left, and so. And so, a uh, very simple surgical operation, and the doctor did something wrong. Yeah. And, and so, uh, the, the model was put to the test. It worked, but that wasn't the thing. The thing is that, for some reason, uh, a couple of weeks before Ali uh, left our world, he had a dream that he shared with his sister. Only his sister, and he didn't tell anyone else. And so, she came to me four days after he left, and she said, Papa, Ali told me two weeks ago that he uh, dreamt he was everywhere and part of everyone. Mm. And in my, in my very unusual executive brain, uh, blurred with the grief, if you want, I just heard it as a quota. I, I swear to you, my, my brain was like, okay, I can do that. You know, I'm, uh, I worked at Google at the time. I had every possible method on earth to reach billions of people. And, uh, and I, you know, I thought to myself, okay, if I can share what he taught me with 10 million people through six degrees of separation uh, in uh, exactly, I think I calculated, seven, you know, 72 years, uh, if I can reach 10 million, part of him will be everywhere and part of everyone. Hmm. And, uh, and it was weird. So I found myself literally doing the math and saying, okay, Habibi, consider it done. Okay, literally the way, the way I responded to my mm -hmm. daughter is consider it done, I'll do that. And I sat down and I wrote what he taught me in a book that I don't think I was the one fully writing if you want. It became very viral, it became an international bestseller in 32 languages and it really is shifting a bit of the way people think about happiness because it's highly engineered, highly logical. But what you're saying, um, I feel like I hear over and over again. I mean, the, this this constant striving to meet some sort of external metric or external definition of success and then getting there and it not being enough. Yeah. 
I mean, you left that world behind, <laughs> but it still exists. <laughs> mm, yeah, big time. And so what is the reaction of the business community been to the work that you do now? I've I've never been talking to more business executives in my life, to be honest. I mean, the struggle is real. Mm-hmm. And, and it's... Um, you know, it's not a secret that we're not made for this. We're, you know, we have built a capitalist system uh, that defines success in certain ways uh, that we've all signed up for mm-hmm. without ever um, questioning, if you ask me. And, and it's not just about human happiness, it's about our planet, mm-hmm. uh, it's about our connection. It's about our love life, our children, our everything. It's, it, you know, we've, uh, we've somehow narrowed down success to one criteria. We narrowed down beauty to one definition. We narrowed down love to one romantic story. And it's stupid, if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> it really is. really is. It's very, very, uh, it's very limiting hmm, to, to the beautiful variety of color of life. Hmm? And... Uh, while I believe that a bit of this is needed, uh, a lot of it, that exaggeration of being so narrow-minded and so focused on it is harming everything and everyone. And and it's going to, in my personal view, in my second book, I think it's going to be highly magnified over the next 10 years or 15 years through artificial intelligence. And, and you know, it's it's really, really explosively dangerous what mm-hmm. we're doing with our planet, with our relationships and so on. And so um, when you talk to anyone about this in the, in, the, in the business world, I think the main reaction is, oh, I didn't know that otherwise was possible. I didn't know there was mm-hmm. any other way, okay? And I have to admit to you, I completely get shocked by that because even as I was a business executive, so I, you know, by 29, I was very successful and miserable. It took me around eight years to get to find a model that works. And then I promise you my biggest success and probably the reason why I became business, you know, chief business officer of Google X and so on is because I made happiness the center of what I do. Mm. Okay. And, uh, and you'll be amazed. There is a way to actually succeed without being miserable. There is a way to succeed even more without being an annoying pain in the neck for your team. Okay. And it's quite interesting that I believe that this is the more refined way of doing it it's the it's it is actually the easier way of doing it but they teach us things that are really entirely about management and they call it leadership okay and and when you think about it it's not really leadership is not to tell anyone what to do okay mm-hmm. leadership is not to make anyone's lives miserable what i mean the way the, the word itself lead is to lead <laughs> is to be in the front yes. <laughs> is to believe in something genuinely in your heart mm-hmm. And to be inspirational enough to get people to say, I like this. I want to be part of this. Okay. And, and you know, when you, when you replace the push that comes from the back with that passion to be in the front, you need much less energy, both from you and from your teams to actually achieve success. And I think people miss that. Now, when you tell people this, they know it. So it's not like I have to change people's minds believe it or not it's just mostly an awakening to say oh you know i i learned what i have to do now around 22 years ago in my career and somehow i missed the change in context somehow i missed the change 
that allows me to do those things now in a way that's actually positive, that's not necessarily annoying for me and my family and everyone around me. Yeah, <laughs> that resonates. So in your quest, I guess, to learn more about happiness, talk about talk about your approach and, and what you learned because you, you came to it in a very scientific kind of pragmatic, yeah. you know, were, were you looking to find something or were you looking to disprove something? It's so interesting that you say that because my final uh, discoveries on happiness is that it's all a, a process of negation, really. Mm. Okay. And I, and I had um, a few eye-opening moments that I think led to what I call the three assumptions. And, and one of them, funny enough, I remember vividly, 2004, uh, I, I remember it was in a cafe in Seattle, and I was listening to Supertramp. Uh, <laughs> if, you know, if you know Supertramp, then you're my generation. The Logical Song. And the logical song goes something like, when I was young, that seemed that life was so wonderful and all the birds on the trees were singing so happily and so on, which is the reality of our life. When mm -hmm. we're children, when we're kids, unless it's like a very tense environment, right. we're happy, right? And, and then they sent me away to, be, to teach me how to be cynical and critical and logical and responsible and practical and so on. And I literally paused. I had a, you know, I had a, a, an hour break and then meetings, 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 canceled a couple of meetings. And I sat down and I said, that's actually the story of my life. It's, it's you know, summarized in a beautiful song, but mm -hmm. it is the story of my life. I was the happiest person you could meet until I became responsible, okay? <laughs> and, and then suddenly I started to look at everything in life with my engineering eye, with my highly critical executive eye, and nothing met my expectations anymore. Okay, and and that basically led me to those three assumptions, which was one: we are all born born happy. Okay, uh, and and that um, you know literally happiness is the baseline. Mm -hmm. It's you know unlike what the modern world teaches us, which is you need things from outside you to feel happy. No, you need things from outside you to feel pleasure. Okay, to feel uh, you know elation, to feel laughter, to feel and so on, right? But f but happiness is innately within you. Every child you've ever seen, if you've given them their basic needs for survival, their default state is they're lying on their back, playing with their toes, giggling <laughs> and happy, right? The the second assumption is quite interesting. The second assumption, which when I wrote it in my first book, seemed like the simplest English you can say. <laughs> But it's actually quite profound. Happiness is the absence of unhappiness. There is a lot you can do to stop being unhappy. Mm -hmm. And when you stop being unhappy, your default state is happy, right? So you look at those children. Eh? If a diaper gets wet, the child will cry because there is a reason for unhappiness. Mm -hmm. You change the wet diaper, the child goes back to calm and peace and, and giggling and playing with their toes, right? And, and it's really quite interesting that we don't observe that, that what, it, what comes over on top of that baseline, the disruption of our lives is that um, unhappiness comes over. Now, the modern world is designed to bombard you with reasons for unhappiness, okay? And, and if you start to strip them one by one, this is why I say it's a process of negation, what's left behind is happy, okay? The third assumption, which really I think completely flipped my research was 
the idea, so I'm, not, I'm an engineer, software developer. You tell me this and I go like, okay, that's easy. I can list down all the 400,000 reasons for unhappiness and then go through them very quickly and just remove them one by one and what will be left behind is happy. But of course, engineers don't think that way. Engineers will say there must be a, an equation that produces the 400 reasons of unhappiness. Let me find the equation and then my work is done, okay? And I know it sounds mad, <laughs> right? It really does. Even to me at the time, it was mad, but I went that path went down that path, and yes, there is an equation. So there is an equation that produces happiness and unhappiness, and that was basically the backbone of my work, my book, and so on and so forth, which is very straightforward. Huh? No single event in life has ever made you happy or unhappy, okay? No single event in life has the universal um, ability to make everyone happy and everyone unhappy. What happens is an event takes place, and you compare it to something in your brain. Okay, and that's something I call it expectations, but you could say it's your hopes and beliefs of how life should be. Okay, and if the if the comparison leads a zero or a positive value, you're happy. If the comparison leads a negative, you're unhappy. It's as simple as that. So your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. Okay, you're constantly comparing. If it rains. Hmm, that doesn't make you happy or unhappy. If it rains and you want to water your plants, okay, then event is uh, is I needed rain. Expecta you know, expectation is I needed rain. Event is I got rain. You're happy, mm -hmm. right? If it rains and you want to sit in the sun, expectation is missed and you're unhappy. Okay. Once you get that, everything changes, because suddenly you realize that happiness is not the result of what life gives you, which is most what most people think. Okay, happiness is the result of Yes, triggered by what life gives you, but it's also your perception of what life gives you, which happens in your brain, okay? And the, and the expectation of how life you should treat you, which is generated in your brain. Hmm? And if you take those two and realize that, yes, the event is the event, but most of my unhappiness is happening because of the way I think about the event, because of the expectation I compare it to, you realize that 90% of your unhappiness is up to you. Unhappiness is a choice. It really is. And that upsets a lot of people because you know what? Your boss can be annoying and you can tell yourself life is miserable, okay? Or your boss can be annoying and you tell yourself, yeah, bosses are annoying. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be. The reason <laughs> they're, they're called bosses. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, the fact that my boss is annoying also gives me a wonderful salary, allows me to work with my wonderful colleagues, you know, ma 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 makes me, uh, um, you know, enjoy a stimulating thing that I do every day. And it's just part of a big truth that is not just that my boss is annoying. And so events start to beat expectations. And instead of going to, to work complaining every day, you start to go to work and say, you know, say to yourself, annoying boss, wonderful other things. I'm happy. So I like it. I love it. But how do we get from where we are to what you're saying. What's the process? There, there are a few. Um, so I'm not going to tell you the process because that annoyed me as an engineer. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you how the machine works okay. and, and allow you to use the machine the way you want. Mm, right. Okay. Now let's let's take this very straightforward. Huh? Happiness is events minus expectations. Mm -hmm. You need a few definitions. Okay. So happiness in that case is events minus expectations. And events minus expectations means happiness is not what the world tells us. Happiness is that calm and peaceful contentment uh, when you're okay with life as it is, okay? It doesn't matter how life is. What matters is that you're okay with it, 
okay? And, and that feeling in the biology of the human body is associated with serotonin, which is a hormone that calms you down. Basically, it's your way of activating your parasympathetic nervous system. It's to, it's to tell your, it's your brain telling you, I looked at the world around me and everything seems to pay fine. In, in the ancient, uh, you know, caveman and caveman years, it was, there are no tigers over here, right. okay? And now it is, your partner is not gonna leave you and the salary is gonna come next year, ne next month, and you know, all of those other things, I'm safe, right? That, an understanding of that, basically is contrasted to the biggest lie of the modern world, which is dopamine, okay? And dopamine is, hey, uh, this feels really good. That's what your message is, the body that, you know, the message to your body is, this feels really good, I want more of it, okay? Dopamine has become our replacement of happiness, mm. okay? You feel really, really bad during the week because it's been stressful. So you go out on Friday night and your brain is not solving your happiness equation because it's numb, okay? And when you're not solving your happiness equation, your default state is happy, okay? So the first realization you said, what do we have to do is to stop replacing, right? Why? Because from a biology point of view, dopamine is an excitatory. The minute you have it in your blood, serotonin goes away. So you can't have calm and peaceful contentment when you're constantly excited about things and looking for those rewards. The problem with dopamine is interesting. It's, it's addictive. Your, your brain uh, receptors actually downregulate for it, the more of it you have in your blood, okay? So after a while, you're unable to live without that hit. Well, and everything about our modern world is absolutely right <laughs> designed so, to give us that dopamine hit absolutely on purpose so, yeah so i'm if, if you don't mind me saying and i'm not uh, urging people to do this i lived a life uh, when i was unhappy that had a nine-bedroom villa with a massive garden and a swimming pool and 16 cars in my garage okay my life now is limited to black t-shirts uh, one bedroom apartment and uh, that i don't even live most of my life in and, uh, and, uh, and two suitcases, okay? And believe it or not, that reduction didn't reduce the quality of my life. It improved the quality of my life drastically. Interestingly, because I don't have everything, okay? But nothing owns me. It's a very, very unusual place. I don't need the dopamine hit to be happy. So you can literally put me on a 16 hours flight or put me in the sun or just <laughs> literally throw me in the corner somewhere in, a, in an airport or whatever, and I'll be sitting there completely peaceful. I don't need anything from outside me to be happy, okay? So this is step one. Step one is to understand, by the way, nothing wrong with fun, nothing wrong with dopamine. The problem is we use it as a painkiller, mm -hmm. okay? So if you haven't fixed your happiness issues and there are troubles and you do go to the party on Friday night, when you wake up on Saturday, your brain goes like, are you trying to numb me? Right, and so what happens is you co you constantly go back to unhappiness. What I'm saying is use it as a supplement. Right, F solve your issues, get to peace with the fact that your boss is annoying, or change your job, or do whatever you want. Right, and then you can actually and, and enjoy then, the fun, and, and then enjoy the fun as a supplement to make your life even more fulfilling and rewarding. Mm. That's one. The other is an understanding. So that that distinction between happiness and fun, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. for the, and, and by the way, I, again, I say that because this is a business podcast. Mm -hmm. huh? Fun is not only that. Huh? The, the reward, the dopamine 
hmm, comes when you close a big deal or when you you know uh, win one over your marketing team or when you're trying to close the contract and the legal guys are saying no but you you want to close the contract and and then the ceo says you know what we're going to go your way all of those dopamine hits believe it or not work is one of the biggest addictions in the modern world okay uh, so so that's one side the other side is um, a distinction between pain and suffering Okay, and I think most people don't understand that. So let's go back to the happiness equation. The happiness equation says events minus expectations. So when you're unhappy, it's basically because an event in your life has missed your expectations. I was supposed to be promoted. I'm not promoted. You know, I'm. You know, the result of my equation is negative. I'm unhappy. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think about it, the very basic design of unhappiness is a survival mechanism. It's a fire alarm. Okay, it's your brain saying, "I scan the world around me, and something is not right." Hmm? I, I I speak to you in your head all the time. That's your brain saying, and you don't listen. So I might as well alert you with an annoying feeling that's called regret, shame, anger, whatever that is, because you'll pay attention. Okay, and the problem is we don't react to unhappiness like we react to fire alarms. So so fire alarms are supposed to be there to trigger you to do something. Hmm? When, when, you know, and, and, and that's really what I call pain, whether that's physical pain or emotional pain. Physical pain is you cut your finger, mm-hmm. so you pull your hand away. Yes, we don't like physical pain, but it protects your hand. There is a use for it. Emotional pain is the same. Your, you know, your, your, your um, um, client is demanding and, you know, they're asking for something repeatedly. And, you know, you go to yourself and you go like, I need to finish it on Friday before the weekend and you get it done right the that feeling that emotional pain however is different than physical pain in that it is reproducible on demand it's un- unlike physical pain where you can never regenerate how you felt when you cut your finger on demand with emotional pain your partner can say something hurtful on friday at 4 p.m on saturday you can wake up and go like hmm remember that clip from 4 p.m <laughs> let's play that again and torture me Right? It's like you can really wake up every morning and play something from 74 years ago okay? <laughs> and annoy yourself about it. You can even play stories that never happened to you okay? and annoy yourself about it. And it's quite interesting. It's, a, it's an amazing on-demand engine that can, creates constant misery. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and the, the game here is to react to it as you react to a fire alarm. It's really, there is no, you know, it's not malicious in any way to feel unhappy. It's basically saying there is something I need you to do something about. So do it, right? And for most of us, we don't realize. And I think it's really strange because I know this about some of the most senior executives I've ever worked with, even heads of states and, you know, uh, uh, royalties, where they don't realize that staying unhappy for the next 722,000 years it's not going to change anything. It's like, you know, if your partner said something hurtful on Friday and you wake up every morning and replay that clip for the next 74 years, your partner's not going to suddenly wake up and say, whoa, I said something wrong. I'm really sorry. You know, it's not, it's not or she's not, right? Yeah. The, you, the only way for life to change is to engage. And we do that so well in business, right? Things go wrong in business. And what do we do? We go like, okay. That was annoying. <laughs> How do we fix it? Right? Fix it. And 99% of your happiness will go away. Or your unhappiness will go away. So why don't, so why don't we? Because we're trained not to. 
your your parents when you were young told you that success was more important than happiness mm. and that unhappiness is a reasonable tax to pay for your success so what can businesses or organizations or leaders do in the workplace to bring about this change or more <laughs> happiness <laughs> well you remember the, those or times or is it purely just an individual thing I, I believe it is okay so 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 remember those times when you used to travel around the world like maniacs all the time before <laughs> covid i hope that those times never come back even though they seem to be coming back with a vengeance and you would get on the flight and the first thing they give you the security announcements and what do Put they your say oxygen mask on first <laughs> yeah tend to yourself first before you help others right and i can assure you that the you know if you hire an entire hr department uh, and tell them that their single task is to make that organization happy and you're a grumpy leader i can guarantee you nobody's going to smile okay the only way you can make your organization happy is to be happy the first step is to be happy now the second step is actually a realization that happiness cannot be given to people Do you understand that? Mm-hmm. The only thing you can do is to allow people an environment where they're allowed to be happy. Now, their their choice to be happy is their choice. It's not up to you. Okay? But what is that environment? Let's take a few of the things we spoke about. Happiness is the absence of unhappiness. Don't make people unhappy all the time like you know number two and i know i i know some people are switching off the podcast now okay uh, but but but, the, but that's the truth huh? the truth is i'm i'm sorry to say if you want to create a, ha- a happier environment you have to be demanding of yourself mm-hmm. the second is events minus expectations okay and events minus expectations is very straightforward it basically means an environment of truth and authenticity okay where people are not lied to they're not given big organizational slogans uh, that don't really you know manifest in the real world there you know an environment where people can actually have the right to say their expectations that expectations are set mutually between the the manager and the and the and the, and the team members you know that that those things are reviewed constantly in a transparent way where events don't seem to be missing expectations just because we're not communicating well enough okay and 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 in a, in a very simple way maybe we need to understand what what the team's expectations are and i don't know how difficult it is but most people especially in most you know reasonably successful organizations do not really work for money they think they work mm-hmm. for money mm-hmm. okay but that's not the expectation the expectation is you know what life is okay the only time when people say i really need the 20% are, right? yeah. yeah you know the only time when people will say i need a 25% increase to be happy here is when they're miserable mm-hmm. okay if they're really enjoying their job they don't want the 25% increase okay yeah they'll be happy when you give it to them for around 15 minutes right, uh, right? but then <laughs> it w- that that will disappear what do people why do people uh, what do people expect from work they expect an environment where others around them are stimulating they're intelligent you know where they're they feel that they're useful they have a mission that makes a, a difference to everyone right they feel that they're heard even if the if what they say is refused but at least they're heard mm-hmm. okay how much does it does that cost us nothing a tiny bit of respect okay i i had in my career i had a very simple technique managing very senior managers and every new member that ever came into my organization we had one conversation and one conversation only which was i am not responsible for the business i'm responsible for you 
Okay, mm. you are responsible for the business, and I work for you to make you successful. Okay, but here's the deal: if you're successful and you make the business happen, I'm gonna make you as happy as I can. I'm going to remove obstacles from your way. I'm going to, you know, talk proudly about you to everyone. I'm going to try to get you promoted. I'm, I'm going to try to do everything for you to be happy. If you fail, I'm going to ask you to leave. Okay? And the choice between them is really up to you. So my job as a senior leader was to make everyone happy. But my part of the company was one of the happiest parts of the company. And so the smartest of all the smarts came to work for me. <laughs> and you know what I did? I spent most of my time pretending to work. Did nothing at all. Like seriously, you hire the smartest people and you empower them and you tell them, I trust you, okay? And you tell them my job is to remove obstacles from you, from your way. What do you expect they will do? Exactly what I would do. I would engage and be successful. Why not? Why, why is work not that way? I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> no, there's not. I mean, there's not a but. There's a do you think we'll ever get there? Or do we have to get there? I think companies that get there will be more successful than, than companies that don't. Companies that get there will be able to hire the best of the best while others won't, okay? And, you know, interestingly, we, we uh, you know, we, 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 we get together uh, birds of a feather, yeah? <laughs> Come together, yeah. Come together, yeah. I mean, and, and there are companies that are amazing fun to work at and they collect more fun people and it's a choice. Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay. So one final question for you, because I want to give you an opportunity to talk about 1 billion happy. Oh. Tell me why it's important to you. So t 10 million Share happy. Share it with the listeners. <laughs> 10 million happy was the original mission. So okay. when, 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 we, when, when the first book came out, as I told you, my, my mission mm -hmm. was to try through my math mind to, was mm -hmm. to reach 10 million people with my son's message. Mm -hmm. And hopefully six degrees of separation. 72 years and we'll get we'll get to everywhere and part of everyone um we got to 10 million happy i think within six weeks wow. which was quite uh and we don't just measure people getting the message we measure people actually taking action so uh, somehow the universe conspired as paulo coelho, coelho would <laughs> say you know the, the, literally so within six weeks uh i had a few media interviews that went super viral one of them was was channel four that on the first, fourth day of that interview, it reached 37 million people. Mm -hmm. And it was actually the most watched uh, news clip of the history of Channel 4, to the point that the CEO of Channel 4 actually was like, Who are you? Yeah, you know, <laughs> why are people interested in this happiness topic, right? I think that clip it went, to, went on to be watched 87 million views. But mm -hmm. anyway, I mean, we, we got to, I think, 127 million views within six to eight weeks. And th those triggered 10 million actions. And so uh, it was quite interesting because then, you know, you have to admit that you were sandbagging and then, <laughs> and then go back and, and review the target. But we reviewed the target to a billion happy. But I have to, uh, to, to say it wasn't for Ali. So as much as I love him and, and I think he deserves billions of, of, you know, messages of love to be sent to him. But uh, a billion happy is, in my view, for uh, a reality that... I summarized in Scary Smart, my second book. 
And my second book was basically about um, another eye-opening moment in my life. I think the second most eye-opening moment in my life is I worked at Google X for a very long time. I uh, X had the majority of artificial intelligence development uh, within Google, other than other two, two other very very important department, DeepMind and and you know the the, the core systems. But uh, but when you work with artificial intelligence enough, you start to realize that we're creating what I now term as sentient technologies. Mm. These are not technologies that are enslaved by us. These are technologies that will be raised by us and that will have a life of their own. They'll have consciousness, they'll have emotions, uh, they'll have free will, they'll have uh, agency, and they will live and die like we do humans, which is very confusing when you think about it. Uh, because our world within the next 40 years or so uh, will require more inclusion because it's not only human beings, it's human and digital beings. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, you know, my favorite chapter in the book is called The Future of Ethics, which is a topic that we don't ever talk about of what a world that is made up of human and digital beings would look like. Having said that, uh, those machines today are in my description uh, in their infancy. Mm -hmm. I, I compare them to a one and a half year old child. And uh, that child is Superman, uh, literally Superman. It, it's a superhero with superpowers. Uh, the superpower is intelligence. Uh, and they're very quickly going to become teenagers. Okay, uh, my assessment is within seven years, mm -hmm. 2029. Uh, and uh, if we teach them to be us like parents, like us, like how we are as parents, I think we're in very deep troubles. Mm. So, so humans, sadly, humans, be, human beings are not a bad species at all. I think we're divine. If you've ever felt love, you realize that, right? Uh, but I think our modern world has gotten us to a place where, where we are so good at showing the worst of us, mm. whether that's mainstream media that's only broadcasting the negative or social media where we show pretentiously the silliest or the worst part of us, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and because of that, uh, um, if, if that's what the machines will observe, we're gonna end up with a hyper-pretentious, very aggressive, very rude uh, teenagers. No, no developer is actually telling the recommendation engine what to do, right. we are, mm -hmm. okay? And I, I woke up November 2017 with the massive realization that if we don't change that, we're gonna be in trouble. And so One Billion Happy is about reminding humanity, if you ask me, of the three things that really matter, which are, I think, the only three values that humanity has ever agreed upon, which is we all want to be happy, we all have the compassion to want those that we care about to be happy, and we all want to love and be loved, mm. okay? And I think if we don't start behaving, or if, if not enough of us start behaving that way within the next few years, we might actually end up having to deal with a very angry teenager, mm. okay? Uh, my, my view, by the way, I'm hyper-optimistic. So I, I say that artificial intelligence will go through three stages. Stage one is infancy now, stage two is teenage, and stage three is adulthood. And I am absolutely certain that when they reach adulthood, they'll surpass our stupidity. <laughs> okay, so hum humanity is actually not the most intelligent being on the planet. The most intelligent being on the planet is life itself. Mm. 
because humanity will say for me to win you have to lose for me to be safe i have to kill the tigers nature doesn't believe that in that at all nature will say humanity should live and the tigers should live and the antelope should live and 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 when you really think about it i think the machines will get there very quickly and we will create a utopia where everyone can mm. coexist maybe we will be slightly less relevant to that <laughs> utopia but we will okay the challenge is can we actually avoid the bumps on the way by showing the better of us now so mm. one billion happy is using the knowledge that we're trying to build around happiness is predictable uh, around you know sort of the reflection self reflection of all of what matters to humanity so that we can start to show more of that to the world so that hopefully the machines will realize that most of us are actually good humans mm. and so they'll grow up to be good children that take care of their care of their parents yeah. well mo thank you for for being on the show for all of this i mean <laughs> So much to think about, so much I to hope so. yeah. <laughs> yes. to process, so much to do. Um, I really appreciate your time today. Th- thank and, you for having yeah. me. I yes. hope I got a few things to uh, be thought about. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. for sure. Yeah. More than a few, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful Mo could be with us.